Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to the 14th episode of Tudoriferous, the fortnightly biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, Christmas! A special Christmas! Special Christmas! We're going to talk about Christmas entertainment this year. Yep. This year, we are going to delve into Tudor Christmas entertainment with a smattering of differences between then and now. We will add in a few non-entertainment items for a better feel of this holiday, but food is going to be given its own episode in the future, and I'm very much looking forward to that. This celebration changed rather a lot during the full Tudor era, with Protestantism coming in, then being rejected, then being reintroduced. So we are particularly focusing on our current king's reign of Henry VII. We may have to redo the entertainment for later reigns. Mm. So, come with me, if you will. The nights are dark and cozy. You are hungry from fasting for several days, but you're proud of your piety and the piety of your household. As the highest ranking woman in the household, not only have you been fasting, but you have been spending a great deal of your time preparing decorations and tasty treats for the coming celebrations. The men have been working hard to get everything done that will allow them not to work for the next 12 days. The animals will still have to be fed, and of course any emergencies taken care of. But you're not concerned. The church allows for that without it being a sin. You proudly look behind you as the men bring in the giant Yule log that will last through the 12 days. You realize you are committing the sin of pride. You will have to make confession tonight. You hope you have made enough food for all the household and the guests you expect for the full 12 days. Your eldest girl and her young family are coming and you will get to snuggle the new baby. You smile as you look at the team of women baking. What a lovely time of year this is. Very nice. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, people coming for 12 days, oh God. (laughs) Yes, sometimes they would come for the full 12 days, sometimes they would come and visit various people for those 12 days. So you'd have sort of a rotation of family members and neighbors and friends coming through. And very much so, you would have priests and monks arrive mm. to give blessings all through the 12 days. I don't want to wish to sound unchristmassy, but did they get paid for this? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually see anything about the priests getting paid, but since <laughs> they got paid for everything else... Well, they yeah. got paid for Halloween, didn't they? So I thought they might get paid for Christmas as well. Well, they most likely did. <laughs> Christmas for the Tudors was a very different affair than what we celebrate today, or what I should say, the majority of the population that our Christian would celebrate today. Christmas was a full 12-day holiday, and it was a full 12 days that you were not supposed to work. It was frowned upon. It was a sin to work during these 12 days. Funnily, two current carols that we have, the Twelve Days of Christmas and Twelfth Night, tell us this, but not many people realize that significance. Christmas would begin on Christmas Eve, the 24th of December, and extend until Epiphany, which is January 6th. Back then, New Year's was not in January. In the Tudor calendar, it was in March. Christmas was very much so the longest holiday in the year. It makes a lot more sense to have it in March, doesn't it? Why do you start the new year in the middle of winter? 
You want to start it when everything's beginning to sprout. Yeah, I don't understand why we went to something sensible and then decided to go back to January for the Roman calendar. Hmm. I don't, I agree. It should be on like spring, what is it? Is it spring equinox or solstice? I can never remember which one's which. Equinox. We'll go with equinox. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because the other ones are the longest and the shortest. So yeah, equinox. Yeah. (laughs) Farmers would have to care for their animals. So although we've got 12 days with no work, they still had to care for their animals. But they were not to do more work beyond that. And Christmas Eve, they would also often give them a double or triple helping of food to each animal so they didn't have to be touched on Christmas Day. You could just sort of ignore them and hope they weren't hungry all day, (laughs) which seems kind of mean. If anyone did any work at all, they would be committing a grievous sin and could be punished by society. They would be ostracized for the rest of the Christmas season until they did penance. And that includes men, women, children, and beasts. So your farm animals weren't allowed to do work either. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. But, just like today, this restriction did not extend to kitchens. No. (laughs) (laughs) So if you were a cook, you were out of luck. Though as much was prepared in advance as possible, it also did not extend to any servants. So what what, what happened to their soul? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the church made allowances for these people to work at all times. No, did they? Their masters and mistresses still had to be dressed, food served, and their duties done. However, if they had a very kind master, their duties would be reduced. So all they were doing was serving and dressing their master in the morning. That's it. But the majority of masters probably would expect you to do your full day's labor, regardless of what day it is for you. (laughs) almost all people would be fasting on christmas eve and the truly pious would have fasted for several days leading up to christmas that does not mean fully not eating food yeah we've we've looked at this before but yeah yes it could mean i am fasting which means i don't eat meat for these days Mm. christmas eve however was a full fast day you weren't supposed to eat It was supposed to um, get you prepared for the spiritual aspect of Christmas. As many people as possible would be fasting. However, you were given a dispensation, which means you have an exception from fasting, if you were very young, pregnant, or nursing, or infirm. The church wasn't out to hurt anybody. Homes were decorated with greenery from evergreens, holly, and mistletoe. There were winter flowers, though I could not find what those flowers were called. Hmm. Do you know what? No, I don't No, there wouldn't be point. There's always poinsettias you get these days for Christmas, isn't it? But No, I I don't know what would be out. But apparently there were winter flowers. I couldn't find out. And because the climate has changed so drastically. I was just thinking thinking that the um, snowdrops could have been out at that point then. But, um, yeah, not now. Mm-hmm. I didn't find anything. I'm going to keep on looking, but I, I'm hoping maybe one of our listeners would be a historian that could look at the climate and what grew and find out what flowers they had. Yeah, I, I know it, it, it will have changed a lot because um, I was reading Flora Thompson's book, you know, um, The Lark Rise to Candleford Woman. I don't know if you've, you've read that. No. But she wrote a book about the seasons, what flowers came out, what 
pastimes there were. Oh, no. It's way off, way off now. Yes. She was late Victorian, I think, early. Right, and it doesn't. Early 20th. And we're getting warmer yeah. and warmer, so it won't match next mm. year either. <laughs> no. <laughs> the women also made other decorations with ribbons, small odds and ends that would add to the festive season. Now, flowers and ribbons, so here we've got with the flowers, were interlaced on every piece of working equipment in the house. So the spinning wheel would be a centerpiece. It looked very pretty with the winter flowers and the ribbons. It both decorated the house and prevented women from working on it when nobody was looking. <laughs> Which I think you might just... I think you might get frustrated after 12 days. Yes, but you're supposed to be also celebrating mass. It, it seems like a fairly busy time from all the descriptions, but I don't know, maybe... Some women enjoyed spinning if it wasn't their livelihood, but a lot of women's work was done inside the house, like the spinning wheel. So they didn't decorate the men's equipment because it was outside and they were supposed to be inside celebrating for all this time. The Yule log was also decorated with ribbons and flowers before it was set alight, which I started wondering, like, how wealthy do you have to be to have ribbon to decorate a Yule log that you're going to burn? Yeah, and we get given a little yule log. It's um, a few willow branches cut up. Okay. They're all wrapped up in um, ivy and mistletoe. They're really pretty. Aww. We get one every year from from a friend. Oh. And that's that's our that's our yule log. But yeah, I mean, it does it does seem shameful to to burn it really because it's been so beautifully done. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't burn ribbons. No, our yule log at my house is a cake. That's called the Yule Log. <laughs> ah, yeah. Sort of a rolled up cake. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> the Yule Log was laid across a hearth in the center of the room. Remember, most Tudor homes did not have chimneys. This was brand new, and they weren't even becoming popular until Henry VIII. As it would burn, they'd move the two pieces on either end towards the center to keep on burning. I kept thinking, what if the flame follows it along to the end? <laughs> what do you do then? But... Apparently, they did this every year. In some places, if they couldn't find a Yule log big enough, they would bring in enough logs. So you could yeah. have 12 or 13 logs. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. But it was intended to be one gigantic log. This was a time in the calendar year where we think food is scarce. But that isn't the case. Food scarcity doesn't occur until harvest time, when you've used up everything you've had from the previous harvest. Christmas would still be enjoying the fruits of the harvest, and by fruits I, I actually mean pears, apples. They would be stored in usually in an attic. You would pick through them each day to make sure anything that was turning came out to make sure the rest of them lasted as long as possible. This was also a time of charity. People were expected to give food to the church that would then provide for the poor for this season. So you were expected to give more and more expensive types of food that the poor normally wouldn't get. There are also rumors of food being thrown in the forests and fields for the wild animals and birds. At first, I thought this oh. was really... Yeah, doesn't that oh, sound lovely? Yeah. Is that to entice <laughs> them in? <laughs> no, not quite. Um, I did also think this was a lovely, generous thing to do. Then I found a few mentions that the source of this tradition is lost in time, but may have been done to help the animals make it through the winter to be hunted in the spring. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but still, it, it doesn't sound a very Tudory thing to do, does it? To go out no. to feed the wild animals. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> Christmas Day, of course, was filled with masses and religious pieces sung. Now we can talk about carols. Carols have their origin in medieval England and continued into the Tudor age. And you would most likely recognize the lyrics of several of these songs, but the tunes would be strange. Right. Many of our current Christmas carols today were updated in the Victorian era with either new music put to old lyrics or new lyrics put to old music. So Good King Wenceslas is a very old piece of music or lyrics, but the song is completely different. Music in the background. Not all tutors would have recognized the term caroling. The source of the word is from Old French and referred to a circular dance that was accompanied by singers. The first English record I found uh, was for 1426, where people began caroling in the sense that we know of it. So not all tutors may have known of this soon-to-be tradition. Since it was just finally written down, we don't know if it had gone out into the hinterlands or was just available in towns. It is possible that most most tutors during Henry VII's reign would have called the songs they were singing wassails. All right. Yeah, we still do wassailing. Yes, we go wassailing. (laughs) Possibly originating from Old Norse or Old Anglo-Saxon. I'm going to apologize every time I have to pronounce something. Veshail which can either mean be fortunate or be in good health. Wassails were originally used to sing to orchard trees and to farm animals. Yep, still do that. Well, we don't sing it to farm animals, but we sing it to orchard trees, yeah. Oh, that's awesome! (laughs) Yeah, we meant to hang toast toast from the branches. Did they do that? Oh, I don't know. I didn't see that. And you you have to stand around the trees and make lots of noise. Shout to scare bang. away demons or something? Yes, precisely. <laughs> yep. I have to say, it's just because we live in Somerset doesn't mean we believe all this stuff. It's just... No, but it's fun. <laughs> yes. Do you also drink alcohol out of a communal cup when you're while sailing? Not, th- not at the moment. Um, <laughs> no, 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 we've got plastic cups. <laughs> they would be, the wassailers were rewarded with alcohol in a communal cup that everybody would drink from while they were wassailing. That's why it's wassail drink hail. <laughs> oh, right. No, we were given, we are, we are given mulled wine, but not in oh. a communal cup. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. The communal cup is kind of gross. <laughs> By the Tudor times, it had been expanded to sing to people and house visits. And we get hints of it being done door to door, though I did not find a primary source for this. I just found sort of people saying, I found this, Hmm. or I have heard this, so take that with a grain of salt. They were again rewarded with alcohol, most likely mulled wine, or in the poorer areas, mulled ale. And mulled ale and wine... In the Tudor times contained spices like cardamom, cloves, cinnamon. Quite expensive. Quite expensive stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Around here it would be mulled cider. Oh. That's no. what we have on Christmas Eve, mulled cider. Lovely. Okay. Very medicinal. <laughs> True. <laughs> it would also contain apples or pears and a lot of sugar. Again, a very expensive mm-hmm. item. We have yet another Tudor holiday that you can imagine everybody drunk. (laughs) 
everything I, I don't read. Think, I don't think we need to imagine. I mean, that's what Christmas <laughs> is, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, a really sweet, entertaining tradition was church choir boys would elect one of their members to play the role of bishop from the Feast of St. Nicholas until Holy Innocence Day. So that's the 6th of December to the 28th of December. The young boys ruled the church during this holiday. The elected boy would be dressed in the full regalia of a bishop down to his size, which I think is just adorable. <laughs> and would conduct all of the ceremonies for that entire time with the rest of the boys' choir. <laughs> I could just imagine the havoc that was going on. Yeah, but that was part, part of Christmas, wasn't it? The turning everything upside down. Yes. The, the servant yes. being the master. Yes. I don't know. I didn't find out if they did that at Henry VII's time. I found no mention of it, so I didn't put it in mm. for this one. But the bishop's thing had started eons before then. The only exception to that rule was mass. Mass was way too important to be mishandled yeah, by children. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you wouldn't put a child in, in charge of mass, surely. <laughs> no. <laughs> but what really got me questioning was, okay, did baptisms happen during Christmas holiday? And did the boys do the baptism? I don't know. I, I don't know. Find... You'd have thought the baptisms would have to happen because with such high child mortality, yeah, sometimes you need to... You, know, you need to get in quick, don't you? Yeah. Sadly. It wasn't mentioned, but that would be even funnier if you've got this young boy dressed up yes. as a bishop doing the baptism. Games were played. Pantomimes were performed. And mystery plays were watched. Mystery plays were plays that were performed on church premises and portrayed themes and scenes from the Bible. For Christmas, the favorite was, of course, the birth of Christ, called the Nativity. The plays would be different at each location, either in theme or how they were played. Guilds would be called upon to make the sets and any props. In larger towns, each guild may put on their own play, featuring different scenes from the Bible that are related to Christmas, so you could wander through the town and watch a different play as you went through. If you watch the BBC show The Tudor Monastery Farm, they do a mystery play in the original Tudor fashion, and I was really impressed. They actually had sound effects. Hmm. It was really neat. I won't ruin it for you. You should probably watch it because it's really okay. cool. The um, is that is that like the Mummers plays with um, Mummers plays George. were supposed to be silent. Oh right, well not anymore. <laughs> no, which is interesting because pantomiming were called Mummers. So originally Mummers were silent. That's where you get oh to keep mum. Keep mum. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. I had to find that out because, yeah, mm. the Mummers plays now. I was like, oh, I've got that in my head. I know what it is. And then the more I read about it, I was like, wait a second. These are all silent. So it was more like mime artists. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. So it goes back and forth. Some pantomimes did have a narrator and these people would just act it out. Others, they actually spoke, but originally in medieval times and, and the early Tudor times, they were silent. In wealthier households, you may find monks and priests performing plays for the household, or the household itself. Everybody would dress up in a different costume and perform a play. In towns, I think, I think it would be best to be in a town, because you would be able to see what sounds like a fledgling parade. You'd have 
all the guilds had put together their own carts that would be carried down the town with people dressed as people in the nativity and then the mummers parading behind them as well. And then there would be interspersed with musicians dressed in costumes as high churchmen, lords, and gaily robed knights playing music throughout that. So it sounds to me very much like a parade, but it's not called a parade yet. No, we don't have Christmas parades in this country. No? Oh, no. we do here. <laughs> Personally, I can do without them because usually it's cold and rainy because it's BC. Hmm. <laughs> if you were again fairly wealthy, the mummers could choose your house to enter and put on plays with their musicians in return for food, drink, and possibly a donation. So yes, they get paid. Again, somebody who got to work on Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we have the English to thank for the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe. Right. At this time, though, it was known as kissing boughs. The decoration was not just mistletoe. The bough was a woven decoration that consisted of consisted of mistletoe, willow, ash, or hazel, covered in evergreens and ribbon, and would have an effigy of baby Jesus in the center of the decoration. And it would be usually hung on a mantelpiece. And you you kiss you kiss under. Under that? You kiss under the kissing bow, yes. Kiss under baby Jesus. <laughs> yes. It sounds okay. like a wreath, but it, I found no mention of it being circular. Hmm. But the idea of the kissing bow was any visitor to the house would have to enter underneath this bow, and you, they would be embraced in peace and love and greeting, hmm. basically. And since the English at this time loved kissing each other on the lips, as every continental country mentioned as being scandalous. Yes, that seems extraordinary, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This evolved into kissing under the mistletoe. Yes, you don't really think of it, but in the Tudor age, at least in Henry VII's time, strange men would kiss women coming into their household and vice versa. And men would kiss men and women would kiss women. That's how they greeted each other at this time. Hmm. Especially under the kissing bow. Everybody who came in through that doorframe was supposed to be greeted and welcome. Nice. And this led to kissing under the mistletoe. Games were a favorite of this time. Everything's a favorite of this time. It's funny. <laughs> I'm just not mentioning this stuff that wasn't a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark very early. And you're not allowed to work, unless you're in the kitchen, a servant or a musician. <laughs> yeah. But even then, you'd have a or lot a more free time. Or sorry, or a priest, yes. <laughs> even then, you would have more free time than you normally would. So people would fill this time with chess, checkers, nine men's Morris, which I had to look up. It's a strategy board game. And hey, cards. Th- sorry? Yeah, I have come across that, yeah. You still find it. Yeah, it's still played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not sure how. Me either. <laughs> it's an interesting board to look at, though. It looks like a bunch of squares with lines, and you move your pieces on the line. I don't know. I should probably watch it. Yeah, I should get that, get that for Christmas. Ooh. <laughs> Cards and dice were popular, and, of course, gambling was always present. Margaret Bovert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't get an R for that one. (laughs) No. (laughs) The King of the Bean was one of the games played. 
Have you heard of this one? No. No, but I should. So, well, I should wait and hear what it's like before I say that we'll do it this year. You should do this. This one sounds like fun. So this is where in a cake if you were wealthy or a loaf of bread if you weren't wealthy, a single dried bean would be baked. During the feast, this bread or cake was served usually at the beginning. So it's interesting. We don't think of cake as being the first serving, but in this case it is. And whoever found the bean in their serving was the king or queen of the feast. And then for the rest of the meal, they would then require all the rest of the revelers to mimic what they did at the table. So when they drank, people would have to drink. When they ate, people would have to eat. If they clapped their hands, people would have to clap their hands. Sounds very much like a game of Simon Says that we play now, but you can think of one person who really likes to drink getting the bean and everybody else being hammered by the end. (laughs) (laughs) Getting paralytic. (laughs) I suppose that's precursor of the Thrupney bit in the um, Christmas pudding. Oh, yes, in the Christmas pudding. Hmm. Possibly. I didn't find a link to that and it didn't occur to me because we don't really do that here in canada Mm, well i don't think people do it much here because you often buy shop shop bought puddings for one thing but (laughs) (laughs) but, um yeah it's still a tradition yeah i don't suppose you can anyone can find a thruppany bit these days i mean we haven't had them for 40 odd years That's like here, we got rid of pennies a little while ago and everybody still calls them like one cent off or I sold it to them for one cent. How'd you get a penny? (laughs) Parlor games were played long into the night, though we don't know most of them. A few have continued, so we do know a few today. Prisoner's Base was one. Mm -hmm. So this is where you get two or three teams and you try to tag and catch people who have left their team and you take them prisoner. Right, yeah. Yeah. Remember that from school. Yes, we did that in school. So when I was thinking parlor games, I was thinking, I I don't know, we don't really have parlor games, but charades. um, Charades, yeah. Yeah. You would think of that or hangmen where you're doing the Mm. words. Every one that I found a description for were incredibly active. I suppose, would you have had, for a start, you've got to be able to read and write to play a lot of these games, don't you? And you would have had a a source of paper and pens, which some houses might might well not... Well, for hangmen, yeah, or a pictionary, but charades, Charades. you don't don't need... But what would you choose? I mean, now we have film, book... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to to think what the Tudor categories would be. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they had it. I didn't find that. Um, I found Prisoner's Base, which they ran around the house. Blind Man's Bluff was pretty much the same thing. Mm. Well, not the same thing. So you'd blindfold somebody and everybody would try to stay out of their reach, but they'd make noises Mm. so they'd know somebody was there. You still play that at children's parties. Yeah. And then the other one that was incredibly popular was called The King Who Does Not Lie. Seems to be the ver- Tudor version of truth or dare, but they didn't do the dare portion. If the answerer truthfully answered the question, they were then allowed to ask the next question. And you can imagine, since everybody's drunk, these would start getting fairly embarrassing. Yes, there's a board game called Scruples, was it? I think, where, where it was quite similar to that. And I remember, yes, all sorts of 
truths coming out, <laughs> family <laughs> things that we thought, really? I thought I'd known you for <laughs> decades. <laughs> yeah, it all got a bit nasty in the end. <laughs> During the daytime was probably the most active. This was a time of tournaments, archery competitions, wrestling, and a version of football that seems closer to warfare. Yes, and I've heard of this football game. That's why they kept banning it, wasn't it? Because it was just plain <laughs> lethal. <laughs> yes, it wasn't banned yet. So for people who don't know of this, it was called football. It sort of sounds like soccer eventually, but at the same time, it sounds like rugby. <laughs> hmm. Um. It, entire towns would play against each other, and the pay, playing field would be miles long. It's between two try... steeples, isn't it, I think? Yes, but the steeples were church steeples. Mm. I originally thought, oh, well, maybe they put up sort of a goalpost. No, it was the actual church steeple. You were trying to get the ball to the church steeple. And it didn't matter and the it... rivers or anything in between. You still had to <laughs> get to go there. over the bridge. <laughs> And it would devolve into what Lucy said, a riotous brawl. It would end up with so many injuries. There are cases of people dying in mm. it. So I'm guessing a part of the celebrations of Christmas was triage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite familiar, isn't it? Yes. Another very popular tradition was ice skating. Mm. Now think about that. Are we in the Little Ice Age? During Henry VII's time, it was, it was quite cold. Yeah. And I do know Elizabeth in one year got to go on a sled onto the Thames. Hmm. I can't say for each year, but ice skating was incredibly popular during Christmas. It was a lot more common for the Thames to freeze over in the past. Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened for many, many years. Yeah. Canals, but not the So you'd imagine that would close the docks so the sailors at least would get time off. Mm -hmm. Can't go anywhere. <laughs> but with the ice skating, when I said think about this, we can't think of ice skating the way we think of. I found mentions of the wealthy had ice skates where they had, did have metal underneath. But poor people would use shin bones of cattle that had been shaped that they'd just tie to their the bottom of their shoes and i was trying to figure out how you could do that because wouldn't the rope get in the way but there is you could a drill portrait. a hole through yeah but i'm thinking more of broken ankles <laughs> it just sounds <laughs> it just sounds to oh, i'm trying to think how you'd stay up on them but then how do you stay up on skates so there we go oh, i have no idea not with yeah, I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And of course, I couldn't find any images of mm. Tudor ice skates that didn't, that weren't for the wealthy that had metal on the bottom. I wonder when, I wonder when it first started. I don't know. I hadn't really th thought that ice skating would have gone back that far as Tudor times. Yes, it, it did. Hold on, we're going to find out. Where did ice skating start? Oh, <laughs> ice skating probably originated in Scandinavia over 2,000 years ago. Okay. <laughs> right. we, we are well into it. Mm. 
Um, it's saying that early references to skating in England date from the 17th century, but I found one way earlier than that because they were doing it in the Tudor period, and that was in the 14th and 15th, well, the 15th century, so mm. 200 years before this mention. Uh, ice skating is probably developed as early as 1000 BCE. Oh, but then you get another one that says it was that they're finding indications of it happening more than 4,000 years ago. So. Definitely earlier than we thought. Yes, much earlier. Mm-hmm. Sledding was also incredibly popular at this time for both children and adults. But it's probably the fastest you'd ever go, isn't it? If you, yeah. you know, unless you can afford a, a fast horse, going yeah. downhill on a sledge is going to be, um, yeah, definitely the fastest you've ever been. <laughs> Yeah, and I I found indications, well, I found stories of adults and children doing it. So, gosh, I I still like sledding. Yeah. I don't like it when somebody puts a a jump at the bottom for you to catch air because you always have to hit the ground. Because the majority of your time was spent indoors because it was cold and wet and you now no longer had work to do outside, the majority of the evenings were taken up with dancing and music. Nice. Music was much more endemic in Tudor life in that people were expected to be able to play instruments. Women were not considered to be accomplished if they could not sing, play an instrument, and dance. You know, because that's really what's going to make you a useful human being. (laughs) (laughs) This presumably, what about your average peasant? I mean, presumably... Would they have one one fiddle player in the village, or yes, if you go through some of the church records, you find that uh there were musicians for the smaller churches were pulled from the village mm. so they wouldn't necessarily be sophisticated instruments; it could be something simple as a wood flute. Men were also expected to be able to play and compose poetry as well as dance, so they would put lyrics to their own songs. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it, this link with um, warfare and poetry, isn't it, that men were meant to be manly men that could wield weapons, but they've also got to be able to do a bit of love poetry on the side. Yes, to woo their woman. Mm. Dancing isn't what we think of dancing now, which is just honestly gyrating. (laughs) 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 Dancing could either be formal steps to a certain time or just great leaps done to music. Mm. Well, the Volta, well, this is a bit later, isn't it? Um, The Volta. Yes, the Volta. Elizabeth's thing. But I mean, that was jumping, wasn't it? That was the pogoing of its day, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, In wealthy houses, bands would be paid to play. So, yes, musicians still had to pay, or still had to work. In fact, this was possibly one of the most lucrative times for the musicians to be able to afford to live for the rest of the year. Mm. They would move from wealthy house to wealthy house playing. So you'd end up with this rotation. So I'm I'm guessing that if the musicians were smart... Certain groups would play certain songs and other groups would play other songs. Mm. You'd constantly have to move around and get paid. I don't know if that's the case, but I'd say that would be the smartest way to go. After the 12 days is all done, you are stuffed silly. You're probably still drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't drawn a sober breath for 12 full days. <laughs> 
I'm not sure if you could call this entertainment, but I did think it was hilarious. At the end of the 12 days, the 13th day was on a plow Monday, it was called. Everyone had to return to the work to their work on this day. Farm equipment was costly, and often communities would have a communal plow. If they didn't, they used one for this plow Monday. So on Plow Monday, this plow would be blessed by the priest, then dragged door to door by the men of the parish. Plowing up everyone's gardens as they go. (laughs) No. (laughs) Each household was to give a donation to the parish when the plow came to their door, no matter how small. If they refused to give a donation, their doorstep and their front walk was plowed up. That's very trick-or-treat, isn't it? (laughs) Very much so. And that's how they finished Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) By shouting abuse at each other. Yes. (laughs) That sounds like quite a nice thing to do, a communal thing to do, isn't it? I can't imagine many people would not just give the donation. (laughs) Yes, you'd find something. (laughs) Yes. Otherwise you're redoing your walk. Yes. Right, so we'll finish our Christmas episode with some crackers. And yep. And by the way, we do know that the cracker wasn't invented until 1847. We're just, it's Christmas. We're giving ourselves a bit of leeway here. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a bit of trouble finding a cracker that's 4,420 miles long, but we're all right. We've done it. <laughs> what? That's, I looked it up. That's the difference between, distance between us. Four thousand four hundred twenty miles. <laughs> so it's not surprising we freeze from time to time, is it? I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, are you ready to pull a cracker? Yes. Okay. Right. I've got a joke. A traditional Tudor, an original Tudor joke. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. How many calves' tails would it take to reach from the earth to the sky? I have no idea. No more than one, if it be long enough. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's your Tudor jokes for you. And I've got a present. Let me open my present. Put my hat on. Come on. Okay, what have I got in here? Oh, we should yeah. probably mention that gifts weren't given out at Christmas at Tudor time. No, but we didn't have crackers, so there we go. Very I've got, true. I've got, I've got some Vitus's toe. So aren't I the lucky one? Oh, gross! <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes a, a severed toe. <laughs> right, pull another one then. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why doth a cow lie down? I don't know. Why does a cow lie down? Because it cannot sit. (laughs) I'm wondering if cows do sit down, can they? I've seen horses sit down. No, I've never seen a cow sit. (laughs) Neither have I. I've seen them tip over. I've never seen an elephant fly, but I've never seen a cow sit. (laughs) Well, that's true. If not hilarious. Do you have a gift in your cracker? Oh, yes. <laughs> I have a paper crown. Oh. Ooh. 
I get to be the queen of the day. I was going to say, or your bishop for the for the twelve days. Bishop for the day. <laughs> okay, next one then. What is it that never was and never will be? Is it existential? Cracker, <laughs> cracker, joke. Yeah, is this a riddle or a joke? I have no idea. A mouse's nest in a cat's ear. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> true but unexpected. Yeah. I was thinking tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were, you were thinking far too deep. And I've got well, my I gift. Win. I've got um, I've got a working model of a ducking stool. Yes, we'll have hours <laughs> of fun in the bath with that. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not a scald's face thing. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> right, do you want to do one? Next one. Yes. What is it that never freezeth? I don't know. What is it that never freezes? I've, I've, I've thought the, I've thought better I've thought better of than trying to work it out. I'll just let you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Boiling water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, true. <laughs> they were simpler people, <laughs> and they were very drunk. <laughs> they were very drunk. Your turn. Okay. Right. How may a man discern a cow in a flock of sheep? The height? <laughs> the answer, by his eyesight. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know, they're, more, they're less, less hilarious and more banging ahead against a wall. Yes. Right, and I've got my gift in my pack cracker. I've got, um, oh, I've got Hampton Court. That's lovely. Thank you. Ooh. Oh, very upmarket well, crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention my ring when I did mine. Oh, let's well, mention it now and you can cut and paste it and put it in. It's going to be the most complicated <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of our episode on Christmas. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us for our next episode on Who Killed Juan Borja? Juan. Juan. Thank you for listening. You can find details of the podcast and contact us on In the meantime, I see the trick on't. Here was a consent, knowing aforehand of our merriment, to dash it like a Christmas comedy. At Christmas, I no more desire a rose than wish a snow in May's newfangled mirth. Goodbye, Bye. and happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs> or Canadian, Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas, yes. <laughs>